0: Is Johnny Goudreau really on the way? Is he going to seriously play for the New Jersey Devils? I discussed that, and I also talked to Tony Ferrari, a draft expert, as we talk all things prospects involving the New Jersey Devils and his reaction to the NHL draft. There's a lot to talk about in today's episode. Buckle up, everybody.
1: You're locked on Devils, your daily podcast on the New Jersey Devils, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: Hi, this is Bryce Salvador, and you're Locked On Devils with Trey Matthews. scores! Oh, stepped up, nailed Bordeaux has got the puck, what a shot. The Devils win the Stanley Cup! All righty now, what is up, New Jersey? Welcome back to the Locked On Devils podcast here on the Locked On Network. I'm your host, college hockey play-by-play announcer, and also those right for Pucks and Pitchforks, Trey Matthews. When this episode goes live, hopefully Johnny Goodrow has not elected to sign an extension with the Calgary Flames because I post my episodes at 6.15 a.m. Eastern time. Johnny Goodrow has until midnight. So I'm recording this episode a few hours before that time frame. And it doesn't seem as though Johnny Goodrow is going to sign that extension with the Calgary Flames, which means things at the free agent market are going to get crazy. And the New Jersey Devils, they're going to be on the front line to possibly pick up Johnny Goodrow. It is all led up to this, ladies and gentlemen. Will the New Jersey Devils potentially get Johnny Goodrow? Will they get their top option? Will the risk that Tom Fitzgerald has been taking the last few weeks, will it finally pay off? Because he has elected not to trade for Kevin Fiala. He elected to not trade for Alex DeBrinquet. And obviously, he struck out with Uri Slavkowski. So now, is this the opportunity? Is this the defining moment for Tom Fitzgerald? Is he going to get Johnny Goodrow? Is Johnny Hockey on the way? Man, I am so anxious. I'm looking forward to when that clock hits uh, noon p.m. Just waiting for the decision from Johnny Goodrow. Might take him a few hours. I don't know what the case might be. Might take him a day or two. But regardless, I'm really looking forward to seeing what Johnny Goodrow is going to do in regards to making a decision. Now, let's talk about his situation with the Calgary Flames momentarily. Now, here's the thing, guys. Uh, I just wanted to focus today's first segment of the show on Johnny Goodrow, because I wanted to address the elephant in the room. I felt like it was too important a topic to not discuss, especially with free agency start to, uh, set to start in a few hours. Obviously, I have a guest lined up. His name is Tony Ferrari, and we're going to talk about the New Jersey Devils prospects. We're also going to talk about the NHL draft, but like I said, I really want to talk about Johnny Goodrow for the first segment of the show. So ultimately, I don't know what's going to happen to Johnny Goodrow. Obviously, the New Jersey Devils, they have to be one of the front runners to land them. So uh, it's the New Jersey Devils, the Philadelphia Flyers, the New York Islanders. There might be another wild card team in the mix. Uh, I previously heard the Seattle Kraken. However, I haven't heard any offers thrown out there by any Kraken personalities or any Kraken news sources. So I don't know uh, if they're still in the running for Johnny Goodrow, but Johnny Goodrow is not going to come at a cheap penny. It's going to cost the Devils a lot. But I think it's worth the risk just because Johnny Goodrow had 100 plus points last year. He had a lot of naysayers going into the season. He's never been injured. And I feel as though, yes, you know, he's getting up there in age just a little bit in his late 20s, if I recall correctly. But ultimately, I just feel as though you need to strike while the iron is hot. Because last year, Johnny Goodrow had a lot of naysayers. Now, I don't think he has any. So I really want you guys to just think of the overall big picture here, which is if Johnny Goodrow is able to give me anywhere from like 70 to 90 points per season for every year he plays for New Jersey Devils. I said this in a previous episode. I'm perfectly okay with that. Now, uh, like I said, I've been seeing a lot of rumors circulating in regards to what's going to happen to Johnny Goodrow. So I'm going to read you guys some of the tweets I've been seeing and I don't know if this is going to be real. I don't know if it's going to be fake, but I'll give you guys my opinion after I'm done reading tweets. So the first tweet comes from my buddy, Neil. He's a friend of the show. So Neil McHale uh, restated what Pierre LeBrun said about Johnny Goodrow's free agent situation. And basically, here's what Pierre LeBrun told uh, the the news in regards to Johnny Goodrow and his overall stance on what the situation might lead up to. So he said, hard to tell. He's got till midnight with eight years. He's been back and forth throughout the day. He's had a sizable deal from Calgary the last six weeks. I don't know what will change. More likely than not, he's going to test the market. So I agree with Pierre LeBron in that case. I believe like if Johnny Goodrow wanted to return to the Calgary Flames, like if they were his top option, I think he would have done so a good while ago because that deal has been on the table for a while. Why not sign it now? Why not just get it out the way? Why not get that monkey off your back? Like just... Sign that deal because you'll you'll be one of the top paid paid players in Calgary Flames history. He'll either be the uh, most paid or one of the most paid. I I forget the exact metric of it, but I feel as though if Johnny Goodrow wanted to return to the Calgary Flames, he would have done so already. But you know that's just my opinion. Now, in regards to the Philadelphia Flyers, a lot of people have been saying like, yes, Johnny Goodrow he grew up rooting for the Philadelphia Flyers, but the fact of the matter is. They're not really in a money ideal situation. They're kind of uh, trying to scramble to find that extra money to just try to get Johnny Goodrow. So according to Anthony Sanfilippo, he tweeted this, and he's a writer for the Philadelphia Flyers. He covers them. So he said this, after talking to some people, both inside and outside the NHL Flyers organization, it appears Chuck doesn't want to pay the asking price for someone to take on JVR's salary. That's completely understandable, but it would also be a death kneel on a potential Goodrow deal. So could that be possible that the Philadelphia Flyers are going to shoot themselves in the foot? Quite honestly, I think it would have been a long shot for the Philadelphia Flyers to sign Johnny Goodrow. And if if I'm comparing the Philadelphia Flyers and the New York Islanders, I get the Islanders made the playoffs last year, but I feel as though the New Jersey Devils have to be the best shot because we got two up-and-coming stars in Nico Heischer, and Jack Hughes, because both of them have been all-stars recently. Uh, Jesper Bratt is starting to blossom. We have a lot of young prospects who I'm going to talk about in that regards with Tony Ferrari momentarily. But ultimately, it's just like the New Jersey Devils. We do have a lot to choose from in regards to how we're going to take our team, and we just need that glue piece. We need that other star player to really mesh it together. We got Dougie Hamilton last year. That was a step in the right direction able to get VTech Vanacek just a few days ago. So our goalie situation, for the most part, I, it seems though it has been amended, but I think maybe Tom Fitzgerald will just like test the just a little bit. I don't know what's going to happen with Jonathan Bernier, but if Jonathan Bernier is our third-string goalie, I'm perfectly content with that. I'd also be content with Nico Dawes being the third-string goalie if less uh, pressure is put on him. So that's something that, the, that we should also take into consideration. And in another tweet from Chris uh, Bota, NHL, Expect the Islanders to offer Johnny Goodrow around nine million per for the max seven years. The Devils will likely offer more, but make no mistake, if Goodrow becomes an unrestricted free agent in the next few hours, Islanders are a serious player. So once again, it seems like the mindset for Johnny Goodrow is to go back home out east. I don't think he cares which eastern team he signs with. I think you know it could be the Devils. Technically, he is from New Jersey, but he's from South Jersey. So It's just like he's a little closer to Philadelphia than he is to Newark. So I'll I'll give an example, and I'm not sure if you guys care about this or not. So I went to school at a liberal arts college in Michigan, Adrian, Michigan. You would think that we're closer to Detroit. We're actually closer to Ohio. So in Michigan and going to Adrian College, I saw a lot of people repping Ohio State instead of the University of Michigan. There were a lot more Ohio State fans, but it makes sense because – even though we're in Michigan, we're a little closer to Ohio. So that's something that I want you guys to take into consideration, which is, yes, Johnny Goodrow is from New Jersey, but he has closer ties to Philadelphia than Newark. So I really want you guys to take that into consideration. That's why he grew up idolizing the uh, Philadelphia Flyers. Now, uh, I got to move this along because, obviously, I'm set to talk with uh, Tony Ferrari momentarily. But um, someone responded, and it was at NHL Rumors Daily, and they said, I agree with Chris here. As I mentioned the other day, the Devils expected to, to start at seven years, $9.25 million, and go onwards from there. Devils have the cap space. We'll see what happens. And now, uh, someone by the name of Tyler, and their at is uh, burnt95, and I really hope they're right. Otherwise, they're going to have to delete their Twitter because this person said, breaking. On the eve of NHL free agency, my sources are indicating they expect Johnny Goodrow to sign with the New Jersey Devils for 10 Point two million annually over seven years. Same source tipped me off on Hamilton to Newark plus exact contract details last summer. Hashtag insider. I'm gonna take that with a grain of salt because I don't really trust that Tyler person. Just because, like, you know, look, I have sources too, but I'm not gonna like tweet it out like that because I'm not the person to be breaking that kind of news. I need more inside sources, if that makes sense. So If this person is telling the truth, that's great and more clout, more power to them. But if they are lying, I would hate to be them because I've made that same mistake before. And ultimately, I was right. But still, I can understand why people were a little ticked off when I said that Dougie Hamilton had signed a major deal with the New Jersey Devils. Now, do I think Johnny Goodrow is going to sign with the Devils? I personally don't know. But if he decides to go to the Flyers, if he decides to go to the Islanders, wherever the case might be, I can't really be mad just because, like, the the overall goal for Johnny Goodrow is to go home, it looks like. That's based on what I'm assuming. I think his overall mindset is that he just wants to go home. He just wants to go uh, closer to his family, wherever the case might be. But if he decides not to sign with the New Jersey Devils, I don't think it's a hockey standpoint. I think it's more of a personal standpoint, like, I just want to go back home. I want to play for my hometown team, whatever the case might be. I'd be a little mad at it at first. I'd be disappointed and I would have questions for the New Jersey Devils front office, but I wouldn't be mad at Johnny Goodrow if that makes sense. And yes, you can use this episode as a receipt in case I do get mad if Johnny Goodrow doesn't uh, resign. So uh, I'm just going to leave it there and we'll see what happens. But I just wanted to give you guys those information before the start free agency. What's up, guys? Before we continue, I want to bring you guys the first and only live read this morning. And it comes from our friends at Built Bar. So from the people who invented healthy and tasty comes the latest gift for your taste buds. You've probably tried the amazing Coconut Brownie Chunk Bilt Bar, but guess what? Your friends at Bilt have given Coconut Brownie Chunk the puff treatment. That's right, the Coconut Brownie Chunk Bilt Bar flavor you love in a delicious, chewy marshmallow covered in 100% real chocolate. It's like a fluffy cloud of Coconut Brownie goodness, but don't stop drooling and just listen. They are good for you, low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, all delicious. Coconut Brownie Chunk pill Bars are only here for a limited time so go to built.com right now to make sure you don't miss out they're going fast because they taste that good all Bilt Bars are made with collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently and provides t- tons of health benefits. Excuse me. Eat something that tastes good and is good for you. The best part about Bilt Puffs is that, of course, they taste amazing, but you can enjoy them guilt-free because they are actually good for you. They are the perfect treat, perfect when you've got a craving you need to satisfy your sweet tooth or if you need a quick, healthy snack. They are an excellent source of protein, delicious coconut, rich, sweet brownie, creamy marshmallows, stop fantasizing, go to Bilt.com to order your box of coconut brownie chunk built puffs right now, go to built.com, use promo code LOCK15, you'll get 50% off your order. Again, use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at built.com. Okay, let's get back to uh, today's episode. Take it away once again. I've talked long enough. It's time to bring in Tony Ferrari as we talk uh prospects from the Devils organization and also the NHL draft. So, take it away. Join alongside me, he is an NHL draft and prospect expert for the Hockey News and Sports Illustrated. It is Tony Ferrari. Tony, how you doing?
1: I'm good. I'm happy to be talking about the Devils, devil's draft class. It was a fun one.
0: It was a fun one, depending on who you ask, because we yeah. were hoping to get your eyes of Kosky. I just want to say before we begin, I love your last name, Ferrari. Is that your actual that's your actual last name?
1: Yeah, yeah. I get asked all the time if, if that's my actual last name, and it truly is. I've had to show my uh, ID a few times. So.
0: Do you actually own a Ferrari?
1: I wish I did. If I w- if I did, I let, let's be honest, I wouldn't be uh, talking here. I'd be out s- r- driving it somewhere. Good point. <laughs>
0: okay. So let's talk about like the draft, because I talked to Chris Peters before the draft, and he gave his uh, mock draft opinion. He said that Shane Wright could possibly, few. you uh, – Fall a few positions. I didn't believe that was going to happen, but ultimately it did. It did, and he fell to the Seattle Kraken. Uri Slavkowski went number one. I was really hoping that Shane Wright would stick at the first overall selection, and the New Jersey Devils would select Uri Slevkovsky because I was just like a big winger who was NHL ready. He was Olympic MVP, um, and overall, what he was able to do in the World Champions just. Uh, was very impressive. And the fact that he was able to hold his ground against other NHL players during that time span, I was really hoping the devils would pick up your eyes. Obviously he went number one. So I guess let's start with there. Uh, What were your initial reactions going into the draft?
1: Well, going into the draft, uh, the few days leading up to it, everyone was kept telling me that I was talking to It's it's Shane, right? It's Shane, right? But don't, don't sleep on Stavkovsky. He could be there at number one. He could be the guy. And then uh, about half an hour before the draft, I got a text and it was, hey, is going number one, most likely. And I'm like, oh, OK, like, well, may, may, that gives New Jersey an interesting choice. Do they go with the defenseman, which is a clear area of need if they're not going to have the winger there? Or do they load up and just absolutely have a three-headed monster down the middle by drafting either Wright or Cooley? And, and they obviously went with Nemets and, and everything. But it was a, such an interesting development because you saw Shane Wright fall after Montreal. And then... New Jersey was able to perfectly justify the damage selection. And then Arizona spent all year going, we're going to draft Logan Cooley because he's going to be the guy there. Shane Wright and Tchaikovsky are going to go one and two. So they went with their guy who they've been dra- scouting all year. And then uh, Shane Wright obviously goes to, th- to fourth, to Seattle. And then it was funny to watch him get up on stage, shake Bettman's hand and immediately turn and give that death stare to the Montreal draft table. I it was, I was, was- about to
0: ask you that. I, he gave a – he was like – When I come into Montreal, you guys are dead. Like, I am going to light the lamp against you guys. That puck is fighting the back of the net at least three times per game for the next five years of my career.
1: Yeah, and that's the drama you need. And I think, like, Seattle doesn't really have a a rival yet. There's not really the the rivalry with Vancouver that they're hoping to get yet because neither of those teams are really all that great. So maybe this is Seattle's first rival. Maybe this this drama between Shane Wright and Montreal gives them that. And I I think it's going to be so fun to watch him play his first game against Montreal and in Montreal. It's going to be one of those things where we watch Matthews and Laine battle it out, Ike and McDavid battle it out in their first year in, in, in the league as rookies it's going to be fun to kind of see Shane Wright and, and Slavkovsky go to head to head and see which one comes out on top in the first couple of meetings.
0: Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And I I just want to talk about that death stare he he gave, which, you know, I, if I was in Shane Wright's shoes and I was the projected first overall pick for months leading up into the draft and Montreal said, you're our guy, we're going to draft you. I, Cause I'm sure they had to have serious discussions about potentially selecting him. I'm sure he's seen the mock draft boards and quite honestly, I'd be angered too, but uh, you said it was justified for the New Jersey Devils to select a defenseman, which they did. They selected uh, Simon Nemish with the second overall pick. And the thing about Nemish is that uh, he's a big defenseman, um, not really much of a scorer, but very athletic. And, you know, uh, he has that great speed. He knows how to handle the puck, he knows how to pass it. But ultimately, I think that's someone that could definitely develop alongside with Luke Hughes once Luke Hughes completes his sophomore year. But Uh, I I want to get your opinion on this first. Uh, Why did Shane Wright drop a few spots? Like, why did Montreal probably, like, a few days or a few weeks before the draft, why did they change their minds and go with Uri Silvogoski?
1: Well, I think the big thing that initially hurt Wright was the fact that he didn't get a play last. Like, last season, obviously, he did, but the season before, he didn't. His D-1 season, he didn't because the OHL was shut down completely because of the pandemic. He, he wasn't one of the guys like many of the other guys like Mason McTavish and even Conor Bedard, who's going to be drafted next year. They all went over to Europe and played in, in whether it was the Swiss League, the Swedish League, any of these different leagues. They went and found games to play. Shane Wright didn't. So he sat out for a year, almost 18 months uh, at the end of the day when his season ended when the pandemic first started and then he wasn't able to get on the ice and train he wasn't able to do all the summer training he normally would have to do and a lot of European players and a lot of the American players got that training got that ability they found a way to get into leagues and get into games even if it was only like 20 30 games throughout the year not their normal slate they found ways to get on the ice Shane Wright didn't unfortunately and this year he had 94 points in 65 games if I'm not mistaken that's what it was so it's not like he had a bad year at all I think it was just Montreal going we need that big guy on the wing. We need it's kind of the same way New Jersey was looking at it. We need that guy that can we can line up next to Nick Suzuki in Montreal and play opposite Cole Caulfield in Montreal. And obviously Cole Caulfield's a really small winger. You throw Svkowski on the other side with Nick Suzuki in the middle and that's a pretty formidable top line. I, I think they had the need at center, but once they made that decision to go with the, the defense or with the, the winger and Svkowski, then you go to New Jersey and does New Jersey want to load up on centers. They have obviously Jack Hughes who's going to score He's going to challenge 100 points this year, possibly. Nico Heischer is one of the most underrated players in the entire NHL. Is there second line center or first line center? However, you want to order those two guys. Do you really want to take right and go, okay, one of these three guys are going to have to be a third line center and not going to be used to their full ability? Or do you go with a guy like Nemitz, who's a defenseman that is another area of need for the Devils? And that's what they end up doing. And then, like I said, at, at number three to, with Arizona, you have the choice between two centers at the end of the day, Arizona probably didn't scout right as much as they probably should have because they're Arizona and they don't have anyone working for the team, but they also don't have the ability to kind of take that gamble of a guy that isn't going to be able to be that dynamic score. And at the end of the day, Logan Cooley does bring a little bit more offensive upside. He brings a little bit more of that assuredness that kind of look for, you look for that dynamism in a, in a player where Shane Wright's a good two-way center. I think he's going to be One of if not the best player from this draft class at the end of the day, but that dynamic offensive upside isn't there. And and the other thing that plays into it too is Logan Cooley's American. He's an American kid going to Arizona is always going to be a good idea. And Shane Wright just falls again. And then he fall ends up being Seattle, which is a good spot for him. Now him and Matthew Beneers are going to form this two-headed two-way monster down the middle there over the next few years. But it wasn't shocking once he fell past that first pick where Montreal needed a center, they ended up taking the winger instead that he fell a couple more spots because the other teams did have different needs and different kinds of preferences.
0: Yeah. So you talked about uh, Nico Kisher and Jack Hughes. I've been telling people this, which is he, here's the fact of the matter, which is drafting someone like Logan Cooley or Shane Wright. That looks better on paper. In yeah. reality, here, here's what the situation is because Jack Hughes is going to be our top center. Then you got our captain, Nico Heischer, at uh, the second position. And then you talk about that third position. That's Dawson Mercer's uh, position as far as I'm concerned. You know, We did move Dawson Mercer to a winger position and paired him alongside with Jack Hughes, and, and Dawson Mercer was able to see some success. But I think the plan going forward is to move Dawson Mercer back to a center position and just try to anchor his own line so that way he could develop in the right direction. So there you go. You got three centers right there. And if we were to draft Logan Cooley or Shane Wright, it, it doesn't really fit long term, at least, because Nico Heischer is there long term. Jack Hughes is there long term. So now you're kind of in a situation right now. But looking at Simon Nemish, and uh, there, there's different ways to say his name. Uh, I, I've been hearing Simone uh, Nesmus or something like that. I, I have a buddy who, uh, who who's big on pronunciation for. Uh, European players and he knows how to do it uh, correctly but uh, the English version is uh, Simon Nemish, uh, as far as I know but uh, the thing about Nemish is is this uh, I recently spoke to a New Jersey Devils beat writer and he says that Nemish is is bigger in person like in terms of his overall size and height and you know he's only like what 18 years of age he's he's younger than me and we're already seeing him develop in the right direction in terms of what uh, they were expecting out of him at development camp. What can you tell me about Nemish and what he can potentially bring to the New Jersey Devils for years to come back? Because I think the ultimate plan is to develop him alongside with Luke Hughes, which is there's no rush to bring either one of those players onto an NHL roster right now. Hughes is going to finish up his second year at the university of Michigan. And then Nesmish. I don't know what the plan is. I think the plan is to bring him to the NHL, but wouldn't be surprised if he begins the season in Utica or maybe Europe. So what can you tell me about Nemish and what uh, Devils fans can expect from him?
1: Well, the first thing I'll say is he's got a good size. Like you said, he's got good size, good speed, good skating ability. The natural talent is all completely there. The, if I'm New Jersey, I look at him and I go, you sit down in Utica right now, you put develop in the AHL, take your time. If you force our hand, we're going to put you on the NHL roster. And in that way, they also get their hands on his development rate by hand. You put him over in Europe, you're kind of leaving things up to chance. You're leaving things up to the teams over there to kind of work their magic and develop him the way that they feel like that they want to develop him. You put him in Utica, you get your own hands on him. You get your own system. You get your own choice as to what he's doing developmentally all the time. So that'd be my plan with him. But with Simo Nemec, he's a guy that scored the lights out at times in the Slovak League, especially in the playoffs where he had 17 points in 19 games on, on, on route to the finals there and helped lead his team to the finals, although he did lose. But he's a guy that knows how to push the pace, be offensive. My biggest thing with him this year is I want him to develop that killer instinct. If he can develop that killer instinct, he can be an absolute monster offensively. He, he reminds me a lot of Morgan Riley when, when he plays in transition and everything. He's not necessarily a guy that's going to stick handle and, and deke his way through the, off, or through the neutral zone on the breakout. But he's going to push the puck up ice and absolutely back defenders off, force his way into the offensive zone, and then get there and start making plays from there. He'll kind of play on the umbrella at the top of the power play he can kind of do a lot of things so while well, I think Luke Hughes probably is the guy that's a little bit more dynamic a little bit more offensively inclined to run that power play be a guy that kind of takes over for Dougie Hamilton over the next couple of years Nemich is a guy that I think could easily kind of take on that role in the second unit and, and be that guy there and, and he has so many different things that he does offensively in terms of the ability to kind of find ways to get his shot through he works really well mo- mobily on the blue line to kind of open passing lanes open shooting lanes he'll fake a shot to open up a pass he'll fake a, sh- a pass to open up a shot he does a lot of things offensively really well I just want him to do it more often and, and do, develop with that killer instinct if he sees a lane don't take the shot right from the blue line push into 10 more feet get a shot off from a little bit closer the top of the circles or even push into the circles he has that ability it's just he doesn't do it as often so he's the guy that projects well offensively and on the defensive end of the ice I think it's more of the same thing, just be more aggressive. He has the skating to close gaps. He has the size to punish guys offensively along the boards when he gets the chance, but he doesn't do it all that often uh, that, that you want to see it from him. This dude's an incredibly talented player. I think with with some work with some time, he could easily be a top pair defenseman, be that guy that you kind of pair with Luke Hughes as the future of your blue line and really kind of build out from the back end with these two centers that you also have up front. New Jersey's got a promising future ahead of them. It's kind of one of those situations where we've been waiting a couple of years now. When's New Jersey going to pop off? It's really getting to that time where you're like, okay, like they have so many pieces now. They have to pop off.
0: Well, at the time of the recording, free agency hasn't begun yet. It's <laughs> going to, uh, when this episode goes live, it will begin in a few hours, depending on when you're listening or it's beginning right now. I believe the New Jersey Devils could land Johnny Goodrow if they play their cards correctly because it seems like Johnny Goodrow he could have accepted an offer from the Calgary flames right about now, but he hasn't. And he would have been like, what the most paid player for the Calgary flames. And it seems like he's big on going home because I'm hearing the contenders are the New Jersey devils, New York Islanders, and then uh, also the Philadelphia flyers. I think the Philadelphia flyers are his hometown team. He's from South Jersey, but we'll see what happens. But I think there's a good possibility that the New Jersey devils can sign Johnny Goodrow, Johnny hockey long-term they just got to play their cards right. And we'll see what happens. But I uh, uh, hope for the best, but prepare for the worst is what I say frequently on this show. But uh, going back to Nemish and his overall dynamic as a player, uh, while playing in Slovakia, he only had three goals in 88 game appearances. But yet someone brought to my attention, and you just mentioned it, which is he scored five goals in 19 playoff games. So what can I expect from him from the offensive side of things? Because you said sometimes he'll take a shot from the blue line. You want him to uh, go in a little deeper in the offensive zone, penetrate it a little bit. Uh, What can we expect from Nemesh from an offensive side of things?
1: Like I said, I think he can be the second power play guy. I don't think he's necessarily going to be a lead power play guy at the NHL level. You've got Dougie Hamilton long-term, you've got Luke Hughes coming up. So you're not worried about that necessarily, but Simon Nemich is a guy that can make every pass that you want him to make. He's a really silky smooth passer, finds passing lanes really well, and he's not a guy that's afraid to send a pass high to low in the zone. He's not afraid to kind of walk down the wall and make the pass there, draw defenders in and do that. So I think there's a lot of upside there for him offensively. He, he was playing against men this year, so that's a, another big sign for a lot of these European kids that get drafted high is – how, how well has he done against guys that are five, six years older that are making a living? That sometimes these guys have kids that are a few years younger than him at the end of the day. So it's, it's really interesting to see how well he was able to do against that. It was a Slovak league. It's kind of a meh league in general. It's not the Swedish league. It's not the Finnish league. It's not the Russian league. But that's why I think his natural next step would be the AHL. You get him in the AHL, give him all those minutes. Give him all that time to develop and do what he needs to do and see where he kind of fits in there. because. Once you get a, a, a little bit more of an idea of where he's going to fit in offensively there, then you can kind of project his game out a little bit more. I think he's going to be a pretty decent defensive player. I think he's, he's going to excel in transition. I think he's does a really good job pushing the pace up ice, pushing the puck and getting it in the offensive zone. It's more about where is he going to choose to develop his game offensively? He's going to be a good passer. I think that's not going to be a question. He's going to be able to quarterback a power play. Like I said, probably on the second unit, is he going to be able to kind of be a goal scoring threat as well? If he has a good shot, but like I said, he needs to develop that killer instinct, that, that little bit of a cerebral attitude to kind of push in, be a, be an active shooter, be an active participant, lower in the zone. Trust that you're going to have a forward that come, comes up and covers for you if you want to co- go down into the zone. Simon Nemish has all the skill, all the talent, all the tools to do it, especially as a skater, really mobile four ways. It's about whether or not he wants to do it. I think that's going to be the biggest thing for him. So we talked about Nemish and what he brings to the New Jersey Devils.
0: Um but obviously the Devils selected a few other players in the draft. So is there any player that we should keep our eye out for particular? Because uh, I'm seeing like maybe Seamus Casey because he can definitely be a sleeper for New Jersey Devils, whatever the case might be. So uh, any other players that the New Jersey Devils uh, drafted that caught your mind?
1: Yeah, I think Seamus Casey is probably the one that definitely caught my eye because this, I interviewed him earlier this year. He was one of the smartest kids I talked to all year. Um, one of the things I do in my interviews is I'll bring up game tape on the, on the screen. We'll kind of break it down a little bit together, just so I can kind of see what they're thinking as they watch their own own plays on the screen. And he was the, one of the only players I've ever heard go. Uh, you know what, I should have done this instead of that, just completely ripping his own game apart. And it wasn't that he made a bad play because he got an assist on the play. So it wasn't a bad play at all. He just realized, hey, I had a better passing option here on the breakout. I could have made this play and used that zone. I could have found this lane and actually done something better here and created a more dangerous chance even. So he was a guy that's extremely cerebral. He has that killer instinct that I was talking about with with, uh, Seamus Casey. And I think the big thing with him is he's a little bit of an undersized defenseman. His defensive game is going to need to take a step, especially physically, but he has the the mobility to kind of close gaps and outskill guys along the boards. He's not a guy that's going to go into a battle. That's going to get in there and be rough and tumble, but he's going to go into a battle and you're going to go, Oh, how do you come out with the puck? And then when you watch the tape, he just goes in there and fishes it out, has more skill than the other guys. And he's able to use their legs their stick to kind of work the puck around in in a small ice game he's really good at that stuff and then he's a good skater moves the puck up ice transitionally really well so i think he's a guy to definitely keep keep a keep an eye on i think charlie letty was an underrated player for that u.s under 18 team as well really good at getting shots off really good at breaking the puck out the rest of his game kind of needs work but he's got some traits and then i think tyler Brennan is a guy that is a good goalie he was one of the top, I think he was the top ranked North American goalie for this year's draft getting at okay. 102. You're not complaining about that.
0: Can I just say something about Brennan uh, real fast? Uh, one, one of my associates actually brought this up as well. Uh, Brennan's numbers might not reflect yeah. uh, who he is as a player under certain circumstances. So can you just remind the listeners why, you know, don't look at his overall stats and judge him from that sort of standpoint?
1: Well, the first big thing is goalies are a little bit harder to, to, Scout in general unless you know what you're doing with goalies that's why a few years ago like an entire summer I dedicated to finding out what every little kind of positioning thing they were doing was, but at the end of the day a guy like Tyler Brennan wasn't on a great team. And that's the big thing and and he was on a team that was getting filled in constantly was not a really competitive team in WHL. But when you watched him as the season wore on, he improved all year long. In the playoffs, he was better than he was in the the regular season. And he was really the only reason they were in games in the regular season. So he's a guy that I think when you watch him, you go, oh, this is a really good goalie. You look at his stats and you go, hmm, maybe not. But at the end of the day, especially with goalies, at the junior level especially, you need to actually watch them play. You need to see what they're doing on the ice. Do they translate? Do they move well? And Tyler Brennan's a guy that does all that. So – when talking about the prospects for New
0: Jersey Devils, who are you the most excited to see? Is it Alexander Holtz, Simon Nemish? Obviously, Dawson Mercer was able to suit up in all 82 games for New Jersey Devils. Is it Luke Hughes at the University of Michigan? Seamus Casey following alongside him. Um, w- which prospect from the last few years are you the most excited to see develop in front of your eyes for the Devils? Like, who do you think has the brightest career?
1: I think there's a lot of players. I think Luke Hughes is going to be a number one defenseman at the NHL level. I think the talent on that kid is unreal. I think a guy like Dawson Mercer is going to be a really, really good player, a player that maybe doesn't get appreciated as much as he should be at, the, at times at the NHL level. But he's going to be a guy that when the New Jersey Devils do try to make those cup runs, he's an incredibly important piece. And then you look at it and you go, oh, wow, he had 65, 70 points in the regular season. He was an inter- incredible, in- incredibly integral piece in the playoffs. And he was a big reason why we went where we did. But I think the guy that I'm most excited to see is Alexander Holtz. He's a guy that I looked at last year at the AHL level, and there were so many good things he was doing. I think his game has come so far from this draft year. I think in his draft year, he was very much a grab the puck, fire it in the net, and be a sniper, and that's all you are kind of thing. And he was excellent at that. Don't get me wrong, he's a very good sniper, probably the best sniper, probably the best finisher from that draft class. But he's come so much farther. He's gotten a transition game now. He's starting to move the puck more confidently at the AHL level. I think this year he's, gonna, he's put on some muscles from reports in training camp. He looks bigger. He looks stronger. He's being a better passer. I think that's a big thing for his game. If he get, brings the passing element to his game, teams aren't going to be able to play him as just a shooter. And that will open up so much more for him. If he's a guy that ends up being a 35-goal score and a 35-assist guy, that's a 70-point seven, player. And then his shot is so lethal. 35 is not the limit. I think, I think this guy could push 40, maybe even push close to 50 on a really good year, especially if he's playing with a guy like Jack Hughes. If he ends up being on a, on a guy like Hughes' wing, Jack Hughes is an absolutely dynamic presence in, in all facets of the game. Putting a guy, a finisher with Alexander Holt's talent next to him, man, that, that's an incredibly dynamic duo. And I think this year is the year we could finally see it.
0: I gotta ask you this prospect, who I feel as though needs a lot more love, Riley Walsh out of Harvard. Line mates on the defensive side of thing with uh, Adam Fox, who won the Norris Trophy a season ago. What are your thoughts on Riley Walsh? Because he led the Utica Comets defenseman in assists. I believe you put him under Lindy Ruff. I feel as though he could do great things for the New Jersey Devils, just because Lindy Ruff was the leader for the New York Rangers and uh, or or he was the leader for their defensive side of things, and Adam Fox was able to blossom despite the defense not doing so well under the tutelage of Lindy Ruff but I feel as though if Lindy Ruff has a chance to coach his uh, teammate from Harvard then maybe Riley Walsh can be a second coming of Adam Fox I might be pushing it just a little bit but I think Riley Walsh does have a bright future for New Jersey Devils
1: I love the confidence in in saying he's a second coming of Adam Fox I don't know if he's that but I do I think Adam. like I said like
0: I said just because Riley Walsh put up his numbers at Harvard Adam Fox put up his numbers at Harvard and Adam Fox obviously won the Norris trophy. Then, you know, Lindy Ruff was the defensive coach for the Rangers at the time. And he was able to, well, not when Adam Fox won the Norris trophy, but during his, during Adam Fox's rookie year, uh, Lindy Ruff was the leader on the defensive side of things for, for the New York Rangers. And they were able to blossom Adam Fox into something special. And now maybe you get Riley Walsh. Could he do the same thing under the same coach that Adam Fox had during his first year in the league? Like I said, I might be stretching it just a little bit, but I feel as though Riley Walsh deserves more love.
1: I do think that Riley Walsh deserves more love. I will give you that. And I think he's a guy that may end up being like the Dawson Mercer of the blue line, a guy that doesn't get appreciated as much as he probably should. But especially with all the talent on, on New Jersey's blue line, I think that'll be the biggest kind of roadblock for him. I think you have a guy like Luke Hughes. I think you have a guy like now like Samuel even a Ty Smith that you have all these puck movers at the, at the on the back end. Is Raleigh Wash going to be able to get enough puck to be that? And I don't know if he's going to necessarily be able to impact the game offensively the way he has up to this point, but I think he's going to be able to be a guy that kind of plays that underrated role, plays that understated role where he's, on the second or third pairing, you don't necessarily have to worry about him. And then every once in a while, he does something that makes you go, oh, wow, like that offensive side of the game is still there. But he's been such a good transitional player. He's been such a solid defensive player, a guy that kind of does a little bit of everything. And that's really integral. I think I look at a guy like Sam Gerard, who's a little bit smaller than Walsh, obviously. And maybe he plays in a role like that because obviously Gerard's not getting the the ability to kind of play that offensive role with a guy like Kale McCarr in front of him. And with Riley Walsh, he's going to have Like I said, Luke Hughes, Simo Nemec, even a Ty Smith, a Dougie Hamilton. There's guys ahead of him, but he's still going to play a really important role. And at the end of the day, when you go on a long playoff run or when you go on a a deep, deep season run where you're fighting for the playoffs, Riley Walsh might be the guy that ends up coming with a huge play at the end of the season that gets you into the playoffs or, or gets you past the first round or second round.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to the future for New Jersey Devils. It's bright. Hopefully we can land a big name free agent to just glue it all together. Tony, thank you for taking the time to talk all things prospects and all things NHL draft and reflecting on that. Where can my listeners find you?
1: Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at the Tony Ferrari, uh, all my works at the hockey news right now. And there's tons of stuff going out there. I actually just put a uh, retweeted a video from, with Seamus Casey earlier this year uh, where I talked to him, broke down his game. Like I said, he critiqued his own game a little bit in that. And we talked afterwards too. And it was a ton of fun. Like you get to know him a little bit too. Music, movies, different things off the ice as well. So uh, je- definitely check that out.
0: Really looking forward to it. Tony, thank you once again.
1: No problem. Anytime.